Hello and welcome to Forces Sport with me, Kath Brazier and Julian Evans. We're in the studio this week, Jules, face to face, in the same room. Because COVID the, is really over. This is the over. first time we've actually recorded this in the same room in the past. It's been a bit of a case of, I can hear you, Clem Fandango, <laughs> through, a, through a pane well, of glass. I can see you, but I can only hear you through a microphone. Was the glass bulletproof or just soundproof? I don't know if it was because of Please your... Please don't test that theory. Well, you get into a rage sometimes if I say the wrong thing. So. <laughs> Coming from you this morning. But, Jamie, we do miss you. Jamie Gordon, um, producer, who is on leave at the moment. So mm. all the best to Jamie and we, we do want you back please yeah depending how this goes jamie we may need you back sooner than you think now coming up someone i've been chasing for months jules the softly spoken but steely shona brownlee no relation to the gb triathlon brothers although that's not actually a question i asked so as far as i know anyway but she's no less determined she started racing a sit ski competitively in 2019 and earlier this year represented paralympics gb in beijing yeah it was just another complete step up from anything I'd done before in terms both of the skiing sort of difficulty of the courses and what we were expected to do but also everything else that comes along with the Paralympics the sort of media all the publicity that until then you know, I've been a little anonymous skier we do races and nobody really knows that there's races going on and then all of a sudden the Paralympics is everywhere in the media. Now, away from the slopes, Shona is an exceptionally talented musician. It's why she joined the Royal Air Force after all. She plays the French horn and the piano and has a degree and master's in music. It's pretty much just been my, my life. I mean, I started piano lessons when I was seven and since then, in some shape or form, there's always been some kind of music. So yeah, that's suppose being the constant it's a little bit of normality in between all the sort of other crazy stuff that's been going on but also I'm intending to come back to the band the elite athletes only ever going to be a temporary situation uh, and I still I don't quite feel like I've I've done the job properly yet. Um, now pretty exceptional Jules and that's the first time either of us had actually met Shona and had sort of a you know longer than 30 second conversation um, but I think you were quite impressed by her very impressed yeah it's a great facility at Northolt mm. where they keep the <laughs> RAF band I didn't realise that to join the RAF band you had to be qualified in music whereas I think when you join the army and the Royal Navy Royal Marine bands you're grade five and they train you up okay so yeah well there you are I, see, I think you've really done your research on this we're, one we're, we're all learning something <laughs> aren't we yeah, no, you need to listen out for Jules's very insightful questions in the longer version of this interview because I go largely on the sport one, but Jules obviously Asked her what has... she had for breakfast. <laughs> but also, you've um, you've obviously done your research on the music, or is it just a do you are you a frustrated band member? No, can't play a note. <laughs> That's why you're a frustrated one because oh, uh, you want to play but you don't know how to. Yeah, maybe possibly. Maybe. Well, look, Jules, um, you know, let's look at what happened last week. Um, two massive games for UCAF football, UCAF forces football. I was out in Dublin um, with the men's team and I was happily filming the game for the live stream. UCAF forces comfortably sitting in a 1-0 lead following a Jake Gosling goal on 22 minutes. And I thought, oh, you know, they'll be happy with that. Wins a win. And then extra, extra time hit and bam. The Irish scored an equaliser and some memories from last October were coming back at me where they um, they got to two all and it went to penalties, which the Irish won. And my hands were shaking and <laughs> <laughs> I, was, uh, I was just all over the place. I wasn't a very good camera operator at that point, but um, nobody wanted penalties. But a minute later, there was that man again, Gosling, at the end of a Phil Bright cross and UCAF won the game. Now, I spoke to their captain, Danny Kerr, after the match. I think that's, that is the way to win. I think that, that's football. It's a, it's a roller coaster there. But if you want to win a game, it's a last minute winner, which they, you know, they had that 
they had that jubilation of, of getting equalised and a 44, that was it, penalties and a win and fell to the right man and, and he put it in the back post and then to win a game like that and it's just amazing, so it just, it just makes it even better. How competitive, I mean it's very obvious how competitive this fixture is, but is this one of the best fixtures you have because the closeness between the sides, and I'm talking because it's a friendly trophy, a friendship trophy, but also in skills, you know, and the Irish will argue they're a much smaller army, but my God, they, they put their heart and soul into that. Yeah, they do, and it's, it's, it's a similar game, sort of, to Inter Services. It, it, it's, it's a battle to give you no time on the ball. Uh, we like to play football, we're thinking the Kentish, the other teams do as well, and they give you a bit of time, but these, these games are fast and furious, and credit to them, like, it, it is a battle, it's always a close game. Um, they probably played the most football, probably had more of the ball, I think we, we've just we had that belief and the shape and, and that quality where we needed it. Um, but the, it's it's a fierce it's a fierce game on the pitch with the Irish, uh, and, but it's great off the pitch as well. So it's good. I'm going to quote Helen Richardson. She said before the game, "Goz has got two in him," yeah. and there we go. There we go. He said to me, "Touch the ball twice." He said, "If he scores twice, we want two touches." I'll do his running all day for him. <laughs> and what a player. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I've, we did it. I did it last week. Wax your, your, your crush on Gosling, yeah. <laughs> Kevin de Gosling, as they um, as they call him now. But um, that's five goals he's scored in the last two weeks in um, some crucial games. But it's not um, over until it's over, as we saw yes, as we saw I in know. the uh, in the Premier League. Yeah, it's I know. It had um, and yeah, the amount of extra time and penalties we've had in civilian football and Premier League football and all the rest of it. I just I just saw it going to penalties, but. Sadly for the women, um, that mm. was the um, the UK women. Outcome. Yeah, that was the outcome, and they were dominant in their match against the Dutch forces. And it was one all after full time. And quite honestly, you know, it looked like UK were in charge, but sadly that also went to penalties, and they they lost the shootout four three. Now after the match, John spoke to the UK forces captain Cat Beaver. I feel like we created enough chances and we were the better team overall uh, in the game. So, yeah, it's really disappointing to put it on penalties. Um, and it's harsh, but, you know, there's got to be one team and it wasn't us today in the penalty shootout. How much of a disappointment will it be for the players, obviously, to miss out on a penalty shootout like that? Yeah, uh, people will be disappointed. Obviously, people that missed, uh, you know, they'll sort of reflect on it. I'm sure they won't do that again. I'll try not to. But, um, you know, we'll just go on for the next fixture that we do and we'll make sure we win that. And then next year, when it comes to it, we'll try and uh, win it back off the Dutch. And you've got an opportunity quite soon, haven't you, when you're playing the Irish Defence Force over in Dublin? Aren't you? Yeah, so we can, um, we can sort of put this to bed and correct what um, things that we did wrong in the game and um, we should get a good result against them. Yeah, so um, the UK Armed Forces women go over to Dublin at the end of June um, for sort of a, a return fixture and you know, I mean, they're they're good hosts. It has to be said. You know, mm. they do the Irish Defence Forces do. Um, they take it really, really seriously, and it's good to see that their their women's team are up and coming. And let's hope for just as much excitement at the end of June as we saw last week in Dublin. Um, Jules, you were at back at the Army Rugby Stadium last week for the Army Intercore. Yeah. So as you were enjoying that Irish <laughs> hospitality, I went to the. Um, Army Rugby Stadium in all a shot as the curtain came down on the Army Rugby Union 15-a-side season uh, with the final of the intercalls. And in the end, the Royal Engineers overcame the Remy to be crowned champions for the first time in seven years. Now, the Sappers celebrated a 23 points to 12 win <laughs> against their rivals, having trailed 7-5 at the break. And a number of Army senior players were on display in the fixture, including fly-half Jack Johnson. Do you remember him? Yeah. Of course, he played a, a very crucial role for the Army in winning the Inter-Services Championship this year. He slotted over a conversion and a couple of penalties for the Engineers 
as they ran out champions. And afterwards, I spoke to victorious sapper skipper Sam Butler and asked him about their match-winning performance, especially as they seemed to stutter in that first half. Well, I think we identified in the first half that penalty count was what we were really letting us down. Um, we decided to play into the wind uh, to make it more difficult for ourselves, but penalty count kept, a, kept us in our half. Um, so when we, we talked about it at half-time, we knew we'd have the wind behind us. We, we'd cut out as many penalties as possible uh, to sort of strangle those opportunities out of them, and then we'll just play our game and play that clinical and composed game that we've done previous this season. Yeah. Delighted for yourself to get the Royal Engineers back on the trophy. Yeah. Of course, the Gunners have been the champions the previous two, your, your old nemesis. So what's it like for, for, the, for, the, um, for you guys, the Royal Engineers, to finally get your hands on that trophy? Look, I, I know a lot of teams will say that they've been going through building phases and building phases, and that's what we've been doing for the last seven years, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, we finally uh, came good this season. We've had a great core of players. Um, and I think we're kind of building on from this season and on and on. We've got some young guys coming through. We've got Sapper Johnson, who got man of the match for the RAF for the inter-services um, and played Army-Navy. We've got Sapper Michael McDonald, who came off the bench for both RAF and uh, Army-Navy. So, look, we've got some young players coming through. We've got a good foundation now, and hopefully we can just build on what we've got. Now, Jules, whilst we're talking rugby union, just listen to this. I've had that in my head all, all weekend I've had that in my head all weekend you might have to explain what it is explain what it is yeah. so that is um, a recording of um, the post game uh, match reaction when well Bath went uh, having been bottom of the table they were bottom of the table they're now second bottom of the table but they beat London Irish and it was Samisa Rockadgoonie's last home game at the rec for Bath and of course he's been there a decade and I don't think it's I don't think it's sort of unrealistic to say that he's something of a cult hero. We've said it before, yeah. but actually that says it. There are other people leaving the club. Anthony Watson, a British an Irish lion and an England international, yeah. he didn't get a send-off <laughs> like that. I'm I'm trying to think of in the professional era a Bath player who has perhaps received receives the wrong word, ha- had such a send-off. Mm. Um, you know, Guscott de Glanville, Callard, they were sort of in the amateur days with a little bit of crossover to professional rugby but for Rocco to have made such an impact I think it says an awful lot about him and and the way he is as, as a person and the way that he's just performed week in week out and as you say that the Bath faithful absolutely love him and He's off to France now. Yeah, so what what does that mean for him? Because you spoke to him after the Army-Navy rugby I, at Twickenham. I and did. I spoke to him in the build-up to to the Army-Navy and he didn't want to overshadow... He's a humble guy. He didn't want to overshadow yeah. anything by saying that he was leaving. We, we knew that he was leaving military rugby then because he, he, he said it on the pitch, but he, he he mentioned that he was off to France to play Division Two rugby out there. Um, and he's, he's also, because his background is rugby sevens, <laughs> he runs a couple of rugby sevens clubs, one in the UK. He's in his gonna, spare time. Yeah, one back in Fiji. <laughs> of course. And he's got a construction company in Fiji. Really? So <laughs> I'm not, not sure he'll come and do my driveway. It's a bit far for him to travel. <laughs> but um, he, he's got a lot going on. And he, he, he's. I'm not entirely sure whether that's the end of him mm. from military circles in its entirety, but we'll have to wait and see. TBC. It was lovely to see him, um, you know, oh, soaking up, <laughs> soaking up that crowd noise with his son Elijah as well. His, yeah, um, terrific. You know, been yeah. there every game, as far as I can tell. Yeah, and, you know, massive supporter. Well, listen, um, Bath Rugby spoke to him after that, um, after that sort of moving rendition of "Oh, Rockadagoonie." Well, something um, moved anyway. Yeah. Um, and this is what he had to say. Yeah, it has been 
an emotional week for me. And then leading up to the game, coming to the changing room, through, uh, straight into the warm up and putting the jersey on to run in. It's just everything just hit me at once. Like this is your final moment, looking at the changing room, the four corners of the changing room, uh, the the bloke next to you, and it's just like yeah, emotional. I was in tears before I came in. So uh, yeah, and uh, the boys performing. The way they performed today, it's uh, it's uh, icing on the cake. It's uh, a great setup from the from the club and uh, from the boys. Yeah. A decade here at yeah. Bath Rugby. Can you sum up what this club actually means to you? Uh, I said I said to the boys um, on Thursday. Ever since I set foot on the club, so, um, it just felt right. It just felt like home, where you can express yourself and just be yourself. And the club has has given me that. And uh, that's why I've been been stuck with, with the place and with the boys for the past 10 years and um, yeah it has been a very emotional week and an emotional a season for me knowing that it's my uh, last um, playing at the ref. Yeah you've made a lot of friends, uh, terrorised a lot of defences <laughs> but you've also had a massive rapport with the supporters here. Yeah. How, how much do you, you owe thanks to them and obviously they owe thanks to you I mean, too? Uh, first of all I uh, Thank the Lord for giving me this uh, this wonderful um, talent, um, the opportunity that He has given me. But without those talent, without Him opening the doors for me, I wouldn't have met uh, the boys that I know today, and and the supporters, and this crowd over here is just like amazing. So yeah, uh, we started off as friends, and now we're like it's a family. It's like I said to the boys, this is my tribe, this is my clan. So yeah, uh, it means a lot. This uh, this, uh, this club, it's always got to be my home, away from home. What a standout performer he has been for Bath and the Army, of course, in the last 10 years and longer, obviously, because he was playing for the Army a long time before he went to the blue, black and white. But um, just elsewhere, just quickly a mention about Wolves women who lost 1-0 to Southampton ladies. So they missed out on promotion to the championship tier two of women's football. Um, of course, the the story on that, um, Jules, is that Dan Mac- McNamara, Macca, their manager and head coach, um, is away with the RAF at the moment, serving and doing his number one job. So um, his responsibilities, responsibilities passed to the UCAF manager, Carl Milgate, and they both work on the UK Armed Forces women normally together. Um, but he was away. And so, but, you know, sad that sad that he wasn't here for the playoff. But in the end, not the result he would have been looking for. Um, the Army women's hockey team, they won England hockey's tier three championships, beating Nottingham Trent Uni 3-0. And there were two RAF um, girls involved in rugby league at the weekend. Alex Barnes for Leeds Rhinos and Alice Fisher for Bradford Bulls. Just finally, big up to military volleyball players. It was their big one at the weekend. Crown Services, congratulations to the RAF women. They won the title, shunting the army into second place. <laughs> so Nikki Mead won't be happy about that. And uh, well done to Alex Menya for masterminding a victory for the army men, who are the 2022 Crown Services volleyball champions. So well done, the army there. This is my station. This is the Forces Station. Forces Sports. Thank you for listening. I'm Kath Brazier and I'm here with Julian Evans. This week we met Shona Brownlee, an RAF musician. Shona was coming to the end of her basic training when she got injured. What seemed innocuous at first turned into years of surgery and eventually the decision to amputate her right leg below the knee. She was introduced to skiing through the Battle Back programme and she's gone on to represent GB at the recent Paralympic Games in Beijing. Still serving, Shona was named RAF Sportswoman of the Year in 2021. 
But away from her sporting prowess, she told us how fiercely dedicated she is to her first love and the reason she joined the military, music. She starts by comparing her life in music to her life in elite sport. It's very similar, I think, in terms of time commitments. I mean, your evenings and weekends are taken up with your own personal practice as well as orchestra rehearsals then concerts and yeah there's there's a lot of time involved oh well and of course when you did eventually join the RAF that is when things really turned a corner for you in in some unusual ways <laughs> yeah it was it was a little bit unexpected joining up specifically expecting to be a musician and then i actually got i got injured during basic training so i didn't even manage to finish phase 1 training before before my injury happened. Um, just tell us a little bit more about the injury, how, how, you know, as much as you're comfortable about talking how it happened um, and, you know, how we've got to where we are today. Uh, we were out on our final exercise. I was right at the end of training uh, and it was a fairly innocuous accident. I slid off a ledge um, and at the time we just thought, oh, it's a sprained ankle you know, have a little bit of physio on it, it'll, it'll get better. Um, and then unfortunately just developed some complications, didn't really heal the way I hoped it would or it was expected to. And then spent the next few years having various rounds of surgery. Um, I was very fortunate in the military, I had access to the rehabilitation facilities at Headley Court. Mm. Uh, so it was top-notch rehab. Um, but yeah, unfortunately things just didn't work the and way I was hoping. Did you have to make the decision to have it amputated was that because I, I'm wondering um, in Civvy Street whether that's a, a different decision, but, but because you've got the backing of the military and then it's more familiar to them possibly that people have amputations or the rest of it. But in the end, was that a decision you had to make? It was a decision that I made. Yes, nobody sort of. I was the one who brought it up to the medical professionals. It wasn't forced on me, or nobody was saying you must have this mm. done. But I'd spent six years hopping about on crutches my leg was effectively useless I couldn't walk on it we couldn't wait bare um, and I was told we're at the end of the treatment route there's no more surgery we can do to fix it rehab obviously hasn't had the effect we wanted and at that stage I decided that actually I would probably be better off without it and you said as you said it a fairly innocuous kind of injury initially just does it still blow your mind a little bit that it's come it's come to this just, not that you know life's bad because of it but just because you know it's it's life changing yeah i mean it's all almost the opposite you say not that life's bad because of it and it's not at all and actually it's opened up a whole new i'd never have got involved in any of the sport or half the things that i've done if it hadn't been for the injury so i can't say it's a bad thing it's definitely not what i expected when i joined <laughs> the RAF. but yeah definitely i i don't see it's a bad thing. So post-injury you were rehabbing at Headley Court and there's a huge emphasis there on perhaps giving sport a try yeah. and is that where the sporting bug happened for you? That's exactly where it happened yeah they've got fantastic facilities uh, and fantastic access to a lot of different adaptive sport programs uh, and I was fortunate to be offered the opportunity to go on a battle back exped. Uh, battle backs they provide sport and adventurous training opportunities to wounded, injured and sick personnel. Uh, and I was offered the chance to go for 10 days and learn to ski in Bavaria. So I'd never skied before and it was just a good chance to do something a little bit different from slogging away the rehab in the gym. Well, I imagine when you were rehabbing, the Headley Court band was something that everybody <laughs> wanted to be part of. I mean, were you, were you the most popular person there? Do you say, come on, guys? Not at all. Oh. <laughs> it wasn't a band there. But. <laughs> but, but were you still able to 
play your music whilst you I did. While yeah. I was there, I did take my French horn with me and then in the evenings. It was just, Quick, it's a nice little, little, bit, little bit of normality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, oh, this is what I do. This is something that I know. And when things aren't going so well in the gym, I can do this. And, and has music always been there for you to fall back on when, when life has thrown up its hiccups? Uh, music's just... It's pretty much just been my, my life. I mean, I started piano lessons when I was seven, and since then, in some shape or form, there's always been some kind of music. So, yeah, that's, I suppose, been the constant. And even with the sport now being such a mainstay, does the music become... Because, you, you, you know, you've chosen, for example, to be here at Northolt. You know, you're, you're on an elite athlete scheme with the Royal Air Force. <clears throat> you're choosing now to come back and join you know uh, work with the band and stuff like that is that because it's a it's almost a respite from the sport and life or yeah it's kind of well there's a couple of reasons one definitely that it's a little bit of normality in between all the <laughs> sort of other crazy stuff that's been going on but also I'm intending to come back to the band the elite athletes only ever going to be mm -hmm. a temporary situation uh, and I still I don't quite feel like I've I've done the job properly yet, just with everything that's happened between all rehab and things. So it's good to, to be here to keep the connections with the band. I'm really fortunate that I've got the opportunities over the summer when our training schedule is a little bit quieter that I can still come in and help out here. Well, look, you're in your amazing GB kit. So <laughs> how were you received when, when you came back from, from competing? Did they, did they put the red carpet out for you? I mean... <laughs> Did they no, herald you? No, oh, I didn't want oh. that. I'll just try and sneak in the back door and oh. nobody will notice I've been gone. <laughs> um, it didn't quite work like that, but yeah, everybody's been really supportive here. Can I just go back to when you learned to ski? Because people in your position, you could still, I mean, some people ski with a prosthetic leg. Some people, I mean, Andy Barlow, for example, I don't yeah. remember, obviously just skis with the yeah. one leg. Um, you... I've ended up in a sit ski. How was how did that sort of decision come around as well? At the time, it wasn't really a decision. I learned to ski before I had my amputation, while my leg was still injured. So because my leg was basically useless, mm -hmm. I couldn't. There wasn't any option for me to stand up ski. Right. Um, if I was learning to ski from scratch now, I probably would. Well, I almost definitely would learn to ski with my prosthetic. Um, and that is actually, it's a future goal. I'd like to be able to do it. I'll still race in my sit ski because I've had a bit of a head start on that. Yeah. But I would like to learn to, to stand up ski with my prosthetic. And when, oh, sorry. No, I, was, I just want to yeah. say, just with the sit ski, because it's a whole different mm. concept. And it's, it almost, and I've skied my entire life on two legs. And the, the idea of being in a sit ski and being that close to the ground and when you do, you know, fall... I just feel like you, you can't get out of it. It's sort of, you know, what's the experience like in it when you're learning it? It's a little bit hard for me to comment because I've never done stand-up skiing, mm, so I can't okay. really compare. But I suppose in a way, because you're sort of enclosed, it almost protects you a little bit if you Absolutely. fall. You're closer to the ground, so you've not got as far to fall. Although because you are, your centre of gravity is closer to the ground, you can pick up quite a bit more speed. Just sometimes it looks like you're in a capsule and you're going to be like rolling on forever. But well, just an extension of your mm. question, because music and, and rhythm is a big part of your life, how much of the rhythm of you as, as, a, as a human body <laughs> going down the street, are you looking for a, for a rhythm when you're when Yeah, you're rhythm actually helps quite a lot. When we were going down the race courses and you've got the pattern of gates and you can see then where there's a, a sort of constant rhythm and then the rhythm will change a little bit and then it'll go back to a steady so actually having that rhythm probably does help a little bit.
And That's a very there, good question. Thank you very much. And is there a tune that you play in your head when you're going down? <laughs> no, I'm usually no. too busy trying to go the right gate. <laughs> yeah, way go through gates. the right gate, so. yeah. I what was your Paralympics experience like? Um, go from like being picked, you know, getting the realisation that you'd be going to Beijing and stuff like that. Of course, and it came at the height of, of COVID as of well. Of course, yeah. And also the teammates that you were with and had got to know. And I know that there's quite a strong military connection between the winter skiing and the Armed yeah. Forces Paris Snow Sport team and stuff. My Paralympic experience, I don't think I can describe it in any other way than just it's been a complete whirlwind. Because I came to skiing fairly late and then you mentioned COVID disrupted things for a good couple of years. And it just looked like I wasn't even going to be able to qualify, partly because I wasn't quite good enough yet and just I didn't have the time to put in the training and we were on a really short time frame so everything ended up happening really quickly just sort of over the last 12 months it was only pretty much this time last year that I actually even qualified for the GB team never mm. mind qualifying for the Paralympic Games so then I was selected for the GB team at the end of the summer for the start of this season uh, I did my first World Cup races in December, went to my first World Championships in January and then was selected for the Paralympics in February. So it was just sort of non-stop. But you were doing quite well in, in the run-up to Paralympics. You were getting, you know, medals, silvers, I seem to remember, seemed to be a, a bit of a, a constant. But um, is the Paralympics a whole different kettle of fish in that sense? Yeah, yeah, it was just another complete step up from anything I'd done before in terms both of the skiing sort of difficulty of the courses and what we we're expected to do but also everything else that comes along with the Paralympics the sort of media all the publicity mm. that until then you know, I've been a little anonymous skier <laughs> we do races and nobody really knows that there's races going on and then all of a sudden the Paralympics is everywhere in the media. Yeah. I, I get the impression that you, you quite like to hide behind the <laughs> anonymity. You, you want to come in and, and just be part of the band. When I'm sitting in the band, I can hide at the back. I just play my French horn. And but you've made some thing. steely determined decisions in your life to have your leg amputated, to have the confidence to compete on the world stage in the Paralympics and to play the French horn, a, a, an instrument that I imagine likes to be heard. So behind that shy and retiring Shona, there is some steel and determination. Mm. There is determination, yeah. Where does that come from? Scottish. Scottish, ah. possibly. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure it's just it's just always been there. A reluctant <laughs> come back in. Jules has been shocked. Yeah, that's the end of the interview. Sorry. Steely, <laughs> steely determination. I was engrossed. <laughs> well, do you know what? I hate having to ed edit these conversations down because it's one of the hardest things to cut out. When she's just everything she's saying for a good half an hour is fascinating. But if I wanted to listen to more about <laughs> Shona Kath, where could I go for that? Well, if you want to hear more from Shona, I'm glad you asked, Jules, then please look out for the full version of that chat on the BFBS Sports Show YouTube channel. And thank you to Shona herself and Neil Chapman at RAF Northholt, who helped us out with footage of Shona playing her French horn in the band and also some of her training on the sitski. Um, just a little word, Jules, about... Premier League, I'm really disappointed for you as, as a Liverpool fan. <laughs> Don't be disappointed. Manchester City are an amazing mm -hmm. team mm. and Liverpool pushed them all the way and you could see it was like a boxing match. You know, two teams going at it, uh, not yesterday, but over, over the season and Manchester City deserved winners. Congratulations to them. I think it's fantastic. Some wonderful football played by lots of teams. 
if you look down towards the, <laughs> the, the lower echelons of the league, perhaps not some great football for Watford fans and mm. Norwich fans and unfortunately Sadly Burnley. Sadly for Burnley, yes. Yeah, but Leeds fans will be delighted. Absolutely, yeah. I think um, the, the, um, the atmosphere in Leeds was almost better than it was in Manchester City last night. But... Um, yeah, look, it's um, it's been an exciting season, and what is that four in four in five, five, four in five for Manchester, Manchester City? City. Yeah, well done to them, um, incredible. Another well, bit of a surprise in the PGA Championships in the golf with um, Rory McIlroy, unfortunately, and Fitzpatrick sort of faded towards the end there. But Justin Thomas came from seven down on that final round. To that's a record equaling. Good. You know, from coming coming from so yeah, far down great performance the, um, great yeah. performance so uh, yeah well done to him yeah and of course the, the tennis the French Open is underway we're hoping for, sacre bleu <laughs> we're hoping for some good showings from Emma Raducanu and Cameron Norrie and Heather Watson who are all in action later this week um, but looking ahead Jules we've um, got a live stream this week um, bit of a bit of an odd one it's an indoor 15s rugby tournament try try service up in Scotland so that's something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of ways for you to revisit all the Forces Sport podcasts at bfbs.com slash podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to see and hear more from our amazing range of military athletes, then have a look back at all the chats of our guests on the BFBS Sports Show YouTube channel. And that's, of course, where you'll find Shona this week. There's also our website, forces.net, for the latest results and action. Plus, keep an eye out on BFBS Sport and Forces News across Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, just so you don't miss a minute of our conversation. But that is it from this week for Forces Sport. Do have a think whilst um, we're away this week of anyone you know who, who you think has got an interesting story and you think deserves the Forces Sport spotlight. We'd love to hear from them. You can email us at forcesport at bfbs.com. Jules, have a good week and um, I'll see you soon. Goodbye.